Hey everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go! This week we'll be starting in Luke chapter 10 and finishing the entire book of Luke all the way through chapter 24. It's a very scenic part of our journey together through Route 66. Going through the book of Luke is fairly straightforward, easy reading. We're in the ministry of Jesus. We'll be reading later in the week about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But this is a very scenic, pleasant part of our trip. As we consider the points of interest in this week's reading, there's really no better place to begin than Luke chapter 10, at the very beginning of the week where we'll be starting out. Jesus sends out 72 of his followers to go basically on a short-term mission trip to spread the word about the kingdom throughout Israel. Now, if you remember back to a couple of weeks ago, we talked in the podcast about how one of the major paradigms or major ideas that's standing behind the message of the New Testament is that with Jesus' arrival, the kingdom has come. With the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of God's people, the kingdom of God has broken through this present evil age. However, we still live in this present evil age. And so we are living in two time periods that are overlapping and simultaneous. We are living in this present evil age, the age of death and disease and difficulty and pain and suffering. But we're also If we belong to God and we are part of his covenant people, we are also living in the age to come. And the coming of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Jesus are two major signs that the kingdom has come. Well, when we look in Luke chapter 10, this is the message that Jesus sends his followers out to proclaim that the kingdom has come. Let's start in verse 8. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Now this would have made perfect sense in, in a culture of hospitality, such as an ancient Middle Eastern culture and even a Middle Eastern culture today. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Jesus wants his followers to show through signs, wonders, and miracles that the kingdom of God has come. One of the purposes that we talked previously about the purpose of Jesus' miracles was to demonstrate his authority over disease and his power over demons. And that's going to now begin to continue with Jesus' followers. And we might think of the kingdom of God, this is a very crude uh, illustration, but if you think of a giant colander, you know, a big round dome, and then there's these little tiny holes all around the colander where the water seeps out and 
it it escapes. Well, that's sort of like what is happening here in the coming of Jesus, that the kingdom of God, that heaven has come to earth, and that kingdom is seeping out. It's not worldwide. It's in one little geographical location here in Galilee, and, and then in, in Jerusalem, and broader Israel. With the book of Acts, that kingdom will, will spread a little bit more in the ancient world, and as the, the, uh, the apostles go out, it'll the gospel will go out into the entire world. But for right now, in Luke chapter 10, it's just little hints of it here and there, like water coming through a sieve. And we see that God is intervening, that the kingdom of heaven has come to earth and invaded this present evil age. So even though disease happens, there are miracles to counteract that disease and to heal people. Even though death happens, Jesus in some cases, resurrects people. He's reversing the curse of this present evil age. And he's doing this in part to show his authority over the present evil age. So you're going to want to look for those moments where the kingdom of God, the not yet, the kingdom that is to come, invades this kingdom, the, the present evil age. We have another example of that the very next chapter, chapter 11, where Jesus drives out a demon from a man who, who couldn't speak. But over and over again, we will see these two kingdoms coming together. Now, one of the great errors of our time is to believe that Jesus's kingdom has come fully. Now, Jesus is reigning at the right hand of his father, but we are still living in that present evil age. So we ought to pray for miracles. We ought to pray for healing. Sometimes the kingdom of God comes down and goes to that sieve and, and reaches into our lives and, and God heals us. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes his will is different than a healing. Sometimes he has a different plan for us. And so we're still in this present evil age. But we have those moments that we can look for for the age to come. The second half of chapter 11, all the way through Luke chapter 13, is sort of Luke's version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. And I just wanted to highlight one small section of this extended sermon that Luke has preserved for us. And all of these teachings together are really grouped there to, to teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God. How does God want his new covenant people to live while they are on earth, while they have that, that dual residency of in the kingdom of this age and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and being part of the kingdom to come. And so this is really the, the big picture purpose of this section is to tell us how we ought to live. But I want to just look at one little section is Luke chapter 12 verses 49 to 53. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. That's probably a, a prophetic reference to Jesus' coming death. And he's referring to there in a euphemistic way as, as a baptism that he's going to undergo. Continuing, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? 
No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is a very important passage because it's one of the critical kind of paradigm shifts that Jesus is asking the Jews to undergo. These were people that came from an honor-shame, group-oriented culture. And so they got their identity based on the group that they belonged to. The large group that they belonged to was that they were Jews and that they had a long history and and all of the history that we read about in the Old Testament earlier this year, all of that was part of their identity as a Jew. The smaller group would have been their, their family or, or their more extended family, their clan. And in that culture, that would have been their identity. And so if one person in that family group stands out and is different than the rest of the family, that can be a a huge source of shame that is brought onto the family. Jesus speaks to every culture and he challenges every culture, but in different ways. He challenges us as Westerners sometimes to rethink our cultural presuppositions as Americans, maybe about how we think about money or how we think about wealth and, and, and power. In this situation, I think Jesus is directly challenging the group-oriented, honor-shame culture of his day that was standing right before him. It was not acceptable for people just to go along with whatever religious perspective that their family members had. Jesus was now drawing a line in the sand and telling people as individuals that they would have to choose apart from their clan, apart from their even their cultural identity, they would have to choose whether or not they were going to accept Jesus as the Messiah or whether they would persist in Judaism apart from Jesus. And we see this in other group-oriented cultures even today. This is one of the great obstacles to the gospel in Middle Eastern and more broadly in, in Muslim cultures because Islam is not just a religion, it's also, it's also many times a cultural and ethnic heritage. It's, it's all kind of interconnected and interwoven. And so Converting to Christianity isn't simply changing religions like you're going to change shirts. It is a massive separation and dividing line that you are putting up between yourself and the rest of your family. Sometimes that's between husband and wife. Sometimes that's between father and child. And sometimes it's between a mother and her children. It can have grave consequences with your family if you believe in Jesus, even today. And this is the call on the lives of Christians. We don't struggle with this issue as much in American culture because we are already an individualistic culture. We already have ideas about ourselves and our identity as individuals and being different from our parents isn't that big of a deal. It doesn't have the kinds of economic and social consequences that it does in some other group-oriented or honor-shame cultures. But that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not saying that we should 
be divisive just for the sake of being divisive. What he's saying is that division is a natural consequence of believing in him as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the God-man, whatever you want to call him, whichever title in the Bible you want to use, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and accept his death on the cross on our behalf, that is a dividing belief. And it can divide families, it can divide clans, it can divide groups, because we have to separate ourselves sometimes from our ethnic heritage and the ways that we grew up. When we get to the end of Luke, there in chapter 24, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. He appears to a couple of the disciples. They recount for him the day, the events in recent days. They don't recognize Jesus at first. And it, it's not until later that Jesus kind of reveals himself to them. But what I think is interesting is verse 27 and beginning with Moses and all the prophets Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself and then dropping down to verse 44 and he said to them this is what I have told you while I was still with you everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms Everything that we read in the Old Testament earlier this year all points forward to Jesus. The whole thing. We've been saying all year, Genesis 3.15, the proto-Ulangelion, the proto-gospel, that first prophetic utterance that God would send a Savior to crush the head of the serpent. We see that now fulfilled in the Gospels. And Jesus kind of gives these two men on the road to Emmaus a quick lesson, a quick seminary class in basic, what we call hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. And he goes back through the Law and the Prophets and basically re-explains the meaning of that through the lens of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of himself. And it is a paradigm shift. It is a change in their understanding. Because all this time they've been thinking that the Messiah was coming to usher in an earthly literal kingdom in his first coming. Or that there would only be one coming. And now Jesus is lifting those barriers from their eyes. Helping them to kind of get rid of those presuppositions that, that didn't fit with God's plan. And they're being taught how to reinterpret the Old Testament in light of the coming of Jesus. It's a powerful message, and it's one that we need to understand ourselves in our own day. The Old Testament is for us because it points forward to Christ. And if we really want to understand who Jesus is, we have to go back and understand how the Old Testament points forward to to him, how it is a shadow, as we're going to see in the book of Hebrews, how it is a, a pointer of things to come. And Jesus gives them the, that lesson here in Luke 24. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have heard those explanations from Jesus. What a wonderful seminary class that would have been to, to hear how he did that. But we have some hints of, of that in the in the writings of Paul and in Acts and, and, and the other epistles. But 
we have to understand that the Old Testament just isn't some boring, repetitious list of accounts of, of historical stories. It is a living, breathing document that points to our Savior and is who fulfills all the commands and all the prophecies and even somehow the, the books of poetry point forward to him. And then finally, Luke's gospel ends as Jesus goes up into heaven and then people worship him. We're going to pick that story up in the book of Acts because Luke and Acts are written by the same author to the same audience, this, this Theophilus that we talked about last week. So we're going to kind of put a little bookmark there in the book of Luke. We're going to pick it up in the book of Acts in a few weeks. Next week, we're going to get into the gospel of John. Another wonderful account. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you enjoy this week's reading. Like I said at the beginning, it really is a scenic tour. Very easygoing and laid back reading we have this week. And I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Be sure to tell a friend about it. You can um, tweet it or, or post it on Facebook or just tell a friend at church. Maybe um, during the time of, of shaking our hands in church together, say, hey, have you ever listened to the podcast? I've really been blessed by it. And, and just share that blessing with someone else. I want to thank you for listening. And we're going to continue the, the journey next week in the book of John. I look forward to seeing you then. That's all for now. God bless. <music>